Deuteronomy 32, uh, beginning with verse 9. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, courage from the herd and milk from the flock, with the fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of the wheat, you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek, and you forsook God who took him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that they had come to know recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. This is the word of the Lord. So grateful for the, the freedom to come together to worship. We are so thankful for your word that you've preserved for us and that you have given to us that is life to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just allow your word to be sent out from your lips and to, to do your work and to not return to you void Lord, that we would be changed by it, that we would be examined by it. Lord, that we would be, uh, a, a, a hunger for you would be established in us from your word. Lord, I pray that you would just help me this morning and that you would be um, the, the strength of this message, that you would, um, God, just supply everything I need to, to, to preach it to your glory. And Father, I thank you for all of this. I thank you for... Uh, just the the the, uh, the privilege that it is to stand before your people and share your word. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I want to say real quickly, some of you are saying uh, you don't look at all like Tom Hall, and um, you would be right about that. I look nothing like Tom Hall. Tom's a much more handsome guy. Um, Tom is not here this morning, as we've been telling you for a couple of weeks that he would be, and he was not. He had a, uh, a problem with his flights yesterday, and they were, uh, and, and he couldn't make it. So um, he, we are hoping that Tom will be able to join us in August. Uh, we were all pretty disappointed that he wasn't able to make it, and, and he wanted me, he texted me this morning, the first text I got this morning, 
And he said to tell you that he was incredibly disappointed uh, to not be here um, with you, but he's looking forward to circling back around, being with you as soon as, as he can get those flights rescheduled, probably sometime in August. And so I hope you'll be looking forward to that. So um, I have spent all week long thinking that a man was going to be standing here preaching to you. And about 7 o'clock last night, I found out that he was not. And so um, here I am. <laughs> so I, I, told, uh, I told the elders in the text, kind of keeping them updated of the thing, I said, I cannot, for this one Sunday, I cannot be held responsible for any unintentional heresy that I might preach because of the, the, the time frame. And I'm kidding. I, I don't plan on any heresy this morning. But let's, let's just uh, dive into God's Word and, and uh, see uh, what we have. I love the passage that uh, Paul read to us. It actually comes from a passage in Deuteronomy 32 known as the Song of Moses. What we have, we've come to the end of Moses' ministry, the end of his life, actually. Um, he has led the people of God, Israel, all the way to the border of the promised land. They're about to go in. And, and this song that God gives Moses for the edification of the people of Israel is given to them, um, and it recounts in this beautiful poetic language God's dealing with Israel during their 40 years of wandering in the desert after he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Now, this song was written. This wasn't just something that Moses came up with. It was written under the direct inspiration of God, and it was to serve as a warning. In fact, God gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to the people. God said in chapter 31, the chapter right before this, he said, now therefore, this is verse 19, now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. Do you ever think that our sin takes God by surprise? No, he saw it. He knew this was coming. It, 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 this, this song is amazing because it describes a cycle that was often repeated in the lives of the Jewish people. God was pointing out that the blessing that he often bestows is frequently uh, followed almost hot on its heels by our forgetfulness, by our wandering, by our idolatry, and by our unfaithfulness. And in this song, Moses sings first, as you read, or as Paul read to you, he sings first of God's tender love and his consistent provision. Let's, let's think about what he said. He said that God, in that very first verse we read, that God claims Israel as his very own portion. He even calls them his allotted heritage. He says, this people among all the peoples of the earth belong to me. This is mine. It, later in the Bible, he'll talk, to, talk about them as his children or as his bride. He, he has these real intimate analogies that he uses of the people of God. He describes how he found them in the desert of Egypt. He found them oppressed, enslaved, abused, but while when he found them, he encircled them protectively and he cared for them like his own children. They became the apple of his eye, he says. He describes himself in this passage as a mother eagle 
who is tenderly caring for her young. He describes how she pads the nest and shelters her young with her wings. And, and, and he says he guided his people and that they, they needed no help whatsoever from the so-called gods of Canaan and of Egypt. He did this all by himself as the only true God. And he was their God. They were his people. He was their God. And he fed them, the Bible says, bountifully. It talks about crops and honey and oil and, and curds and milk from the, from the, the flocks. And, and it talks about a plentiful supply of meat and wine. Everything they could possibly need, everything they could possibly want. But there was this turning point in the passage there was a, there was a time when danger was introduced where where something happened something broke something turned and we see the same danger both in God's inspiration of the song that I read to you and in the song itself and that point of danger came as God puts it when Israel grew fat and it says this in the in the passage Paul read it says but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. And then he forsook the God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Now, you may not be familiar with that term, Jeshurun. Jeshurun is a poetic name for Israel. It, it's, it, it's only used four times in the entire Bible, three times right here in the book of Deuteronomy, one time in Isaiah. Um, and it roughly translates out. It's, it's a word that God uses sometimes in these prophetic writings when he's trying to use a, a poetic uh, a name for his people. And, and it roughly translates to, to upright or just. God's people were to be just and upright. Now here though, because of the, the, the turn of events that's happening in this passage, this idea can be taken here as an indictment from God against his backsliding people. Those who should be known for their uprightness, for their justness, are not acting righteously. They've forgotten God. They've forsaken him. The King James Version, I like this. It says that, the, that Jeshurun grew thick. It's an interesting term. It says he grew thick. And when I thought about that last night, it conjured up for me images of a big old hippopotamus somewhere in Africa. I don't know. I love watching, you guys have heard me say this before. I love watching nature documentaries and things about animals. And, and hippopotamuses are really interesting animals. Their skin, their outer layer of skin is two inches thick. And, and, it, and even though it's skin, it, it serves because of its thickness as almost like an armor. It protects them from being injured or, or you know, in, in either fights with each other or fights from other animals. It protects them from being injured. And so when it said that they became thick, I thought of that hippopotamus. See, Israel, think about that skin on that hippopotamus and, and imagine it like this. Israel had become impervious to the convicting power of God's covenant with them. They were unmoved by it. God had given them the Ten Commandments and the whole law. He had, and he had proved it with signs and wonders over and over and again. It was him that was speaking. They didn't care. They'd grown thick. They'd become fat. And they imagined, this was the, the real sin, they imagined that they had earned this blessed estate that they lived in, that they'd earned that on their very own. So here they were. They were a people blessed like no other in the entire world, who in spite of their blessing had become hard-hearted. 
They, they couldn't be penetrated by the love and the kindness of the God who had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They didn't care. The Bible puts it like this. It says, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. And I read that word kicked. I thought of an unbroken horse that doesn't want to be saddled. Has anyone ever been around horse, uh, horses and, and, and kind of watched that process? Man, you put a saddle on a horse that has never had a saddle on it, it does not receive it kindly. It kicks, it bucks, it, it, it tries to, if a rider does get on, tries to throw it off. And imagine this unbroken horse that doesn't want to be saddled. Israel was resisting, submitting to the God that had rescued them. They were submitting, in, they were resisting rather, enjoying his fellowship. Though he had only brought them blessing, they had no reason, no reason whatsoever to resist God, and yet they did. The verse describes exactly what their rebellion looked like in practice. It says, he, Jeshurun, forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Now let's think about forsaking and scoffing. To forsake something is to give up on it. I'm done with this. Or to, to actively turn away from it. Israel had abandoned God and put their trust in themselves. And even worse than that, they put their trust not only in themselves, but in the idols of the nations that God was evicting in front of them because of their idolatry. They were turning to the same idols that God was judging by their presence there. And scoffing, when we talk about scoffing, that takes it one step further. To say they scoffed the rock of their salvation means that they were holding God in utter contempt. They were mocking the very rock of their salvation. And this, and the Bible goes into the description of that. It says they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods that had, they had never known to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers never dreaded or feared. They committed adultery. This is the idea. They committed adultery as the wife, as the bride of God, chosen by him. They committed adultery with other gods, offering sacrifices to demons, the Bible says here, who were masquerading as gods that had given them no benefit. They had no reputation for blessing among the people of Israel like the true God did. Instead of showing that same love, devotion, sacrifice to the God who'd been a father and a protector and a provider for them for 40 years. This passage indicates that they had a craving for something new. You know, God had been there for 40 years, but they wanted something new. The Holy One who had parted the Red Sea, and they saw it, who sent food from the sky, and they saw it, who sent water gushing out of a rock, and they saw it, who protected them from the desert sun with a cloud by day, and, and, the, and the, the cold desert temperatures at night with a, fire, a pillar of fire that was with them all the time, that God was not doing the trick for them anymore. They were done. They were over Him. They would not be satisfied by Him. And so that passage that Paul read ends with this tragic epitaph it says that you were unmindful of the rock that bore you he's literally not just saying he was a father to them but almost using mother language he said i gave birth to you and you forgot the god who gave you birth 
Though God had been a flawless father to them, they pushed him out of their, their, their present thoughts until he was completely out of their past memories. Completely. He was gone. So here we are, some 3,000 plus years later. What the heck does this have to do with you? Let me tell you a story. Some of you witnessed this story fairly firsthand. A little over three years ago, by the grace of God, I was able, and only by the grace of God, I should add, I was able to repent of an addiction that I had had for my entire life. And the addiction was to food. I got to tell you, someday, another time, I'll tell the whole story, but, but from the time I was a little bitty child... I was constantly eating, constantly. I, I, every, you know, all of my recreation was around eating. All of my, you know, all of my comfort was around eating. Every, I was always eating until finally I found myself tipping the scales at over 315 pounds, diabetic, massive blood pressure problems, kidney problems, all kinds of stuff. And, and 2017, my world came crashing down around me. And I got to tell you, the, the, the quick end of this story is that I had no power whatsoever, proven it time and time again, had no problem what's the power whatsoever over this problem until the Lord granted me as a gift repentance from the sin that was killing me. Now I remember, this is where I want to get to. I remember this distinctly. I've shared this not here but other places I remember late during this time in my life, before everything had changed, I had been working in my yard, just you know, taking care of things, and all of a sudden, I felt very strange. I felt very uncomfortable. Something was wrong. I, I just knew it. I, I thought I was getting sick. But you may not believe me, as odd as this sounds, you may not believe me, I swear it's true when I tell you what the problem was. I was hungry. I was literally hungry. Now what's the big deal? What had happened was, I had made such a, a, a lifestyle of eating all the time that I literally could not recognize genuine hunger because I ate constantly. I was always filling up something. So, so when I was really hungry, I didn't even know what it felt like. Whether I was, I was eating constantly, whether I was hungry or not. So on this rare occasion, when my body actually needed food, I did not understand the signal. No idea what was going on. I thought something was really wrong. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You may have struggled with your weight and you're saying, well, I, I get hungry all the time. Listen, I had feelings that I thought were hunger. I had feelings I thought were hunger. But what they actually were, were just cravings. I could really go for some pizza right now. I could really go for something salty right now. I, I could really go for something sweet right now. All I was doing, I wasn't really hungry. I was just responding to a, 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 a craving Telling me what I had to have, it was it was never genuine healthy hunger. It was just soothing some desire of mine in the inside of my soul or eating some kind of stress away. Now, why is this important? Because I believe this little snapshot of my life and my sin describes the Christianity that many of us experience regularly. Think about it. 
all of us in this room are bombarded by advertising and material things that tell us that our life will be empty and meaningless if we don't have them. We have all kinds of of sexual enticements like we've never had before. Everyone carries a porn shop in their pocket now because that, that wasn't possible 30 years ago, but now it is. We have personal ambitions like we always have had in history where we think, you know, I've got to, I've got to be number one. I've got to beat everybody else. Everything's competition. We pursue glory. We want to be known for something great. Everybody, you know, the number one desire among young people today is to be famous. And so what happens is we devour those things and we mistake those things for real nourishment and we neglect the thing that would really satisfy us because it's not a real hunger it's a craving it's not a hunger it's just something that it's something inside of us tells us what we need so we go after it we just consume it and consume it and consume it and listen to what jeremiah said he's not talking about food here but it, but the principle is the same listen to what he says in jeremiah 12 and listen to to the strong language god uh, jeremiah 2 rather verse 12 and listen to the strong language that god applies to the very opening portion of this verse he says be appalled O heavens at this be shocked Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns or wells for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. All of those things I mentioned that are crowding your life right now, listen to me, please, as a warning, they hold no water. They hold no water whatsoever. I know that because I've drank from most of those wells. There's nothing there. My question to you is this. This is the whole crux of everything I want to say to you. How long has it been since you had a genuine hunger and thirst for the Lord? See, we can mistake a lot of things for true hunger. We can mistake a polished worship experience in a climate-controlled, well-lit building for spiritual hunger. But, But oftentimes that can just be emotional manipulation. But listen to what the Bible talks about when it says, for our longing for God. It says in Psalm 63, 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh Faints for you. That's a good description of hunger. But listen, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He is describing a deep hunger and thirst for God. And there is no mention of seeking God in a perfect environment. But in a harsh one. Where God is magnified or reduced, depending on your perspective, to the only hope this man has. There's no water here, God. I'm looking to you. There's no food here, God. I'm looking to you. There's no satisfaction in all these things that are crowding my life through advertising and through, you know, my own selfish desires and my own uh, depraved things that are in me. There's no water there. And Lord, I'm looking only to you. So examine your heart today. Are you sitting here and and can honestly say that you have have or have not had a real hunger for God. I'm not asking 
If you're basically religious, if you show up to church, if you do religious things, if you vote Republican, I'm not asking any of those things. I'm asking if you have a hunger and a thirst for God. Jesus is the epitome of righteousness. And he said in the Beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Are you hungry for God? Two things are absolutely necessary for those who are hungry if they would receive sustenance from God. First, you got to restore your hunger. Secondly, you have to know where to find food. Isaiah 55 has long been a, 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 a key passage in my life. It says this, verse 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, I like that. I'm always on the, on the scanning the horizon for somebody who says, hey, if you got no money, I got something for you. I love free stuff. If you have, and and the, he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. How? Without money and without price. Listen to this question. It is a searching question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Well, what's the alternative? Listen diligently to me. God is saying. And eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. See, God's offer of grace is freely made to everyone who will earnestly ask. I love Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in John Four, he comes, he's exhausted. He asks her for a drink of water. He shouldn't have been doing that. He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. They have no dealings with each other. And, and, and she looks at Jesus, amazed that this Jew would ask, him, ask her for water. And he says, you got nothing to draw with. The well's deep. And he says this, this is what he says to her. He says, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have forgotten about that. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's what Jesus said to her. But like the Israelites that we read about at the beginning, so many of us have removed ourselves so far from the sustaining life of God that we've forgotten the gift of God. I say it most weeks because I think it's so important in American Christianity that most of us are saved as an item on a to-do list. Some we don't worry about anymore. It, it, it's, it, it, we just, you know, we've got it done. We're saved. We're moving on. And someday we'll have a big reunion meetup in heaven. Listen to me carefully. Salvation entails so much. And I talk about it a lot. I'm not going to go through this in detail today because I do it all the time. But salvation requires so much that, that it's not just you know, some benefit. It is the gift of God. And, and, and it carries with it life and peace and joy and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and, and, and uh, access to God in prayer. It's the gift of God. And most of us have distanced ourselves so much from the life of God, not being hungry for God because we filled up on so many empty calories that we've forgotten the gift of God. Jesus said to this woman, if you knew the gift of God, 
and if you knew who it was that was saying that was speaking to you we've forgotten the gift of god and we've forgotten who it is that speaks to us through his promises the bible says in revelation let the thirsty come it's a promise and we've forgotten it and because we've forgotten the gift of god we've forgotten who speaks to us we have not asked him for anything so we have to restore hunger by intentionally, actively, with a with a with a, a, a clear mind, putting aside, pushing aside worldly cravings and pursuits, and returning to Jesus in humility, in repentance. Food for our souls is only found in the person of Jesus. It's not found in wealth. It's not found in power. It's not found in prestige. Only Jesus delivers. Everything else, everything else is just empty calories. And it's only going to make us fat. And when we're fat, we'll be falsely satisfied. Like the people in Revelation, Jesus sent a message to one of the churches in Revelation. And it says, we are rich, we are full, we've got everything we need, we don't need you, God. And that describes a lot of the American church. And what, what we are, we can't do that. We can't be falsely satisfied. Jesus said instead in that letter, he said, instead, you don't realize that you're naked, you're hungry, you're poor, you got nothing because you don't have me. Everything we need is found only in Jesus. Jesus said to, to the people who were seeking actual physical bread from him, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What a promise. Never hunger, never thirst. I, I'm telling you, there have been times in my life, I'm not just talking about the addiction I went to, I'm, I'm, I am telling you there have been times in my life where I was hungry. And I was hungry for things that, that I thought would satisfy me. As a pastor, man, I'd love to have a bigger church. You know, I'd love to have a, a, a bigger budget for that church. I, I'd love for, to, to, you know, for people to know me and all those things that, 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 that we seek. You may have that in your job. You may have that. You may want to be the best mom or the best father that people just look to and, and admire you for how skillfully you raise your children. But I'm telling you, as good as some of those things are, none of them are going to satisfy you. Jesus alone is the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. He told those same people, your fathers ate manna, bread from God in the wilderness, and they died. But he said, whoever eats this bread, the bread of life, Jesus himself will never hunger, will never thirst. And here's the deal. It's a great promise. Never hunger, never thirst. But I'm telling you, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but many of us do not believe that. Well, that's pretty arrogant. Mark, how can you say that? I can prove it. I can prove it by looking at your schedules and by looking at your bank accounts. I can prove it. Because you're hungry. And so you're, you're sitting down at all kinds of tables, just consuming and consuming and consuming and consuming, hoping that something's going to satisfy you. You can see it, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your energy, how you spend your labor. And you're spending it on things that will never satisfy you. Why is it that you think that, that Jesus told that rich ruler that came to him, sell everything and follow me? See, 
I don't think we most of the time tell that story right. Jesus was making him the best deal ever. This is a financial thinker, and Jesus was making the best deal everything. Give up all you have and get everything I have. Making this great deal for him, but he was fat, like Jeshurun. He had filled up his soul on the empty calories of moralistic perfection and and worldly wealth, and he couldn't possibly come to the table where Jesus had made a place for him. Once we've come humbly to Jesus, like that man failed to do, what does this mean? How do we find food for our souls? Well, I realize I'm talking to people here who I truly believe, most of you, not all of you, but most of you are, are genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what, what I want to tell you about where to find food is not going to fa- sound f- profound to you, and that is not, that's not any fault of my own. It's a problem. It's a problem culturally that it doesn't sound like life-giving and refreshing. But where you find food for your souls is in God's Word. Now, I don't mean some, you know, wispy, spooky word you get. I mean this version of God's Word. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, that is where we feed our souls. Let me be very clear. Without God's Word, your spirit will starve. Jesus, after an actual, not some you know, metaphysical, you know, figurative thing, after a literal, literal actual 40-day fast in a burning desert, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy to the devil who was tempting him. And you remember what he said. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but how shall he live, Jesus? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is every word that comes from the mouth of God. The importance of reading, of understanding, of memorizing, and obeying God's word cannot be overstated. A a Christian, if they can be called that, who doesn't read God's word is like a heart patient who won't get better because he doesn't take his pills. God's word is at times hard to understand. We do a Bible study. In fact, any of you are invited to this. We do a Bible study every Wednesday night at our house. And it started with people who had just kind of recently become saved. And what we do is we talk about how to study the Bible and, 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 and really talk about the concepts of that. And we have discovered, right, Chris and Hannah, over and over again, that it is hard to understand the Bible sometimes. Would you agree with that? It's hard. And it, it, it's difficult. It takes work. But let me remind you that everything that is worth anything in this life is hard. Is that right? Everything. Let me tell you, let me kind of put this back, go back to my story and put this in perspective for you. The easiest thing I ever did was get fat. Easy. No problem. In fact, it was kind of fun. I kind of missed some of the stuff that I used to eat that made me fat. Um, I don't eat it anymore. And I, and I kind of miss it sometimes. But when I decided that through, by the grace of God, through repentance, that it was time to get well, that was hard work. And your body, no matter how hard you work on it, is going to die someday. But you should be caring about your soul and your spirit by feeding on the Word of God, which will never die. Your, word, your, your body is never going to die. I don't, but, but here's the deal. I don't want to just leave you like, okay... Mark said it's hard. We got to go home and have a Bible reading plan. Read a bunch of these and thousand begots that we don't have anything that we would know what they're even talking about. 
Listen, that's, that's just an attitude, you know, you, you may have going into it, but what I want you to, to, to not forget is the word is not just hard, but it's also infinitely sweet. Two times in the Bible, somebody was told, take this scroll. In a prophetic moment, said, take this scroll, the word of God, and eat it. And they eat it. And in both instances, it was, it was like honey. And the, it, the word of God is sweet. Nothing in this life is superior to, than that moment when a promise from God takes root in you. I can prove that. How sweet was the moment that you heard believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and, you actually t- and it actually took root in you? How sweet was that moment? When a promise takes hold, there's nothing sweeter in the world. John described Jesus Christ as the Word. What he's saying is that Jesus Christ is the very best thing that God ever had to say. If you go looking for life strategies in the Bible, how to be a better this or that, or 21 tips for, you know, being a better parent, husband, wife, businessman, boss, employee, whatever, it doesn't matter. If that's what you're going for, if you're trying to find some moral legislation to be holier than someone else, listen to me. Then, then you'll come away from God's very word burdened and dry. But if you open this word... And you look for Jesus Christ, because he's there on every single page. You will find, I promise you this, the way, the truth, and the life that your soul is longing for. Next, and I'll be a little bit more brief on this one, we find food for our souls in prayer. Using food imagery, again, Jesus said this, I love this passage. Luke 11, verse 9, beginning, he says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father, listen to this carefully, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The, the Holy Spirit means, what it means is not, the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's not, he's not a power, he's not a, a, a disembodied thing he is god and and the fact that through prayer we have access to the holy spirit that he comes to dwell in us when we become believers and and and, and lives in us to convict us to correct us to to heal us to save us all of those wonderful things it means that this is the the key teaching of the holy spirit it means that god himself has come to be resident inside of you. God himself is living with you, living in you. And, and the Bible says that all you have to do to have the very person of God living in you is to ask. That's it. What more do you want? God living with you, in you, through you, demonstrating his power, showing his love, reminding you of the things you read in his word. What more do you want? And all you got to do is ask. 
not a person in here that's ever denied their son or their daughter life-giving nourishment. And God has offered us so much more just for the asking. He's offered us the, the, the fullness of God in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Father longs to satisfy you with good things. God is not a joy taker. God is a joy giver. And, and he longs to give you good things, but he doesn't want to give you anything quite as good as himself. The main thing he wants to give you is himself. If you're waning this morning in your hunger for God, ask yourself, what is it that I'm consuming? What is it that's causing me not to be hungry because I'm already full? It may be meaningless, empty calories, but what am I so full of that I'm not hungry? And then set that aside by the grace of God. As I talked about me in 2017, set it aside by the grace of God and ask God to help you to grow in your hunger for him. Tell him that you want him to point you to where life-giving food can be found. I guarantee you he's going to point you to Jesus. And then, since we're talking about the Word and prayer, let me give you a suggestion. Even if you're brand new at this, even if you've just barely gotten saved, write this down. This is a prayer I want you to make, your daily prayer. And when you first pray it, you're probably not going to feel it. Or perhaps, maybe some of you will, but you may not feel it. You may not feel any kind of strength behind it. But I'm going to encourage you to just keep praying it until it's true. And it is for many of you these familiar words from Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. And this can be your daily prayer. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, uh, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Let your soul long to appear before God instead of just thinking that you've got an audience with him or that you're feasting on him because you come to church and do a handful of religious things. Let your soul long to come before God and you'll know it. When, he, when, when you feel hungry and he satisfies that hunger, you are going to know it. You'll know it. And here's my prayer for you this morning. I'm not praying that you won't feel hunger. I'm praying that you do. <laughs> I'm praying that your hunger increases daily, exponentially, because I know if you are truly hungry for God, truly hungry for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, truly hungry for the, for the life-giving truth of His Word, I know that you will be satisfied. Would you stand with me? So we're talking about feasting. And, and not and, and putting away uh, you know empty calories of worldly things and and feasting on Christ and no better a demonstration of that than what we do at the table of the Lord every week and so I'm going to invite you right now to come and just take the elements and return to your seat and we will take them together and pray Jesus is the bread of life that comes down from heaven satisfies the the, the hunger and thirst of every man, those who come to him will never hunger or thirst anymore. And he, he said in that same passage in John chapter 6, he says, my body, my flesh is real 
food, and my blood is real drink. And what he was pointing to is that it is only by faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ, that our souls are ever truly nourished. And he gave us this ordinance, this sacrament, so that as often as we come together, we can remember that. This, was, this message this morning was not a guilt trip. It was an invitation. Maybe you have been feasting on things that are, are, are consuming and crowding your soul. But God has given us bread and a cup to remember, just to remember that those things will not satisfy us, but there is something that will. There's something that will. And we're going to joyfully joyfully partake together. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus your great gift to us. This is the way you delivered us from our own Egypt of sin and shame. You delivered us through the Passover lamb of Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb placed on our hearts that that delivered us from our sin and our shame and our slavery to evil and wickedness. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the reminder that this bread is, Lord, that, that there is something that will satisfy us. And a reminder that there is nothing else that will. So Lord, we we feast on you today in gladness for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cup of blessing, the cup of the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you have washed away our sin, that you have called us to yourself, that you have have been the thing that satisfies us, Lord God. God, we drank from the cup of sin for so long, Lord, and it it always left us thirsty for more. But Lord, your promise is that whoever drinks the water that you would give would never thirst. And Lord, that water, that true drink, as you said in John 6, is your blood. So God, we partake of your blood, and we thank you for the cleansing power that it has for sinners such as us. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup together. You would place your hands in a receiving position. I want to pronounce a benediction over you, and then we'll dismiss you. This comes from 2 Peter 3.18. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory of both now and to the day of eternity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.